Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Clinton. It's a really exciting show today, especially for me, as we have the opportunity to speak with Nate Walker. And Nate is the president of Diamond Solutions, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. Nate also played five years of Division I baseball at the College of Public Crossing at Northwestern University, where he received a bachelor's in economics and a master's in sports administration, which is incidentally how Nate and I originally met. Following the completion of his master's degree at Northwestern, the Tampa Bay Rays hired Nate as an advanced scout for the 2016 season. Following that season, Nate was hired by the Toronto Blue Jays in a similar capacity. At the end of the 2017 Major League Baseball season, Nate decided to take the management skills he'd learned in front offices and start Diamond Solutions, a player development consulting firm that educates coaches and players on how they can utilize data analysis to gain a competitive advantage on the field. Nate, we're really happy to have you today. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Bryce. It's good to be back. Glad to, glad to talk some shop with you again. It's exciting. It's exciting for me. And as I mentioned, I, you know, being someone that teaches and, and I had Nate, it's probably been three or four, four years probably since you were in my course. Um, this is the cool thing for someone that, that teaches, right? To, to be able to, to see the things that you do. And, you know, I often use Nate as an example of in the course that I teach around technology and sports, students often come in with a view of certain things that they want to do. And Nate's a great example of someone who, who did some of those traditional things, but now has taken it and made it its, its own. So it's really cool to see. But if we, Nate, if we take that all the way back, you're kind of a baseball lifer. And so starting in San Diego as a kid, is that sort of true? I mean, has baseball sort of always been ingrained in you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's a good way of putting it. I'm a baseball lifer through and through. I, I mean, I was obsessed with the sport from a really young age, always played competitively um, since essentially nine years old. And, and the ultimate dream, right, was to be a big league player. And, uh, and as we know, that's a very tough task to accomplish, especially as you get older and older and that funnel gets you know, thinner and thinner as, as you face better players. But um, I was always in love with the game and in, in many different aspects, really. And I kind of realized that as I got older. And so as, as kind of it became more evident through my college career and injuries started piling up that I wasn't going to play professionally. I, I really, um, you know, found enjoyment in the management side of, of the game and, and kind of the science behind it. I always consider myself you know, a nerdy player and, and was always curious about why things were happening on the field. And, um, and so, but yeah, but that, but that passion always stemmed from kind of being a baseball lifer and, and trying to pursue that dream of becoming a, a professional baseball player. So baseball has been a huge part of my life um, since, since the early days, for sure. And you played at Holy Cross and then came to Northwestern. So you're able to do play baseball during both of those situations, correct? Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to play at a high collegiate level at the division one uh, level. So I started at Holy Cross, um, you know, at, you know, for, for my first four years, I, I got hurt there one year. I, I fractured a bone in my elbow pitching. And, and so that's how I got to Northwestern. Actually, I had, a, I had an extra year in the bank um, to use for, for NCAA uh, for eligibility purposes. And, and the Northwestern was always a school that was on my radar as an undergrad. Um, but we, I never could, uh, I was just short of the cut to, for, from a baseball perspective to, to get a, to get a scholarship there. And, and so I ended up going to Holy Cross and had a, had a good career there and, um, you know, started on the weekends. And, and then when I, uh, when I told coach Stevens at the time, Paul Stevens, uh, that I had an extra year of eligibility, um, he, he welcomed me with open arms and said, you know, we'd love to have you for a fifth year. And, and, uh, that's kind of how I got to Northwestern and got to play in the big 10. That's pretty cool. I mean, it is cool to be able to. And that is one of the cool things that we see with a lot of students in the program or, or at Northwestern in general is that they, they take the opportunity to really parlay that 
one playing of the sport that they love and the education, knowing that, like you said, that, that those big league jobs and playing in the big leagues sometimes are hard to come by. Exactly. I mean, you only get one career and the way I looked at it is, um, you know, I wanted to, to use as many years as I could that the NCAA was going to allow me to love playing in college. And, and, um, you know, I recommend to anyone, you know, in, in sports who, who's deciding between like their career, their, their, their professional career or, or their sports career is, is to try and take advantage of, of as many years as, as you can. I mean, you see that today, you know, with, with the COVID restrictions and, all the athletes getting the extra year back and you see a lot of athletes go back, which I think is great to see. And um, you only get one shot at this and, and you also never know, you know, you know, if, if, if you have a really good fifth year in whatever sport you're in, you, you could get a sh- you could get a flyer to, to play professionally. And so um, for me personally, it was like, I really wanted to make sure when it was all said and done, I put my head on the pillow. I, I, I told myself I did everything possible. Like they had to tell me I wasn't allowed to play anymore. And so that's the way I approached it. And, and I think a lot of athletes do now too. For sure. And I mean, you were a pitcher, you know, as, as a young person in college, as we'll talk, you know, moving forward after your graduate school career and what you do now, you talked about being like in the business side, sort of a nerdy, you were a nerdy player. Do you think being a pitcher had something to do with that because of the focus on the metrics around pitching and the matchups and so on? Oh, absolutely. But I would also uh, say that uh, a big reason why I think the way I do is because in pitching, you have a lot of time in between starts. And so you're not always playing all the time because you're recovering. And so, um, so yeah, pitching is, is obviously one of the most important positions in all sports, really. It, it's one of the highest paying positions. Um, I could, it could be the highest paid position. I'm not exactly sure right off the top of my head, but um, there it, it, it's, there's a lot of, it's a very complex, um, position as well. And so there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot that you have to understand of why certain things happen and why certain things don't happen. And, um, and, and you know, as a pitcher, as you're the one who's experiencing it and it's a very humbling position as well. If you fail, everyone, everyone sees you fail. And so you always, you know, with the time in between starts or the time in between outings, you're always searching for answers. It's impossible. I don't know any pitcher who just kind of, just kind of, you know, is super laid back and, 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 you know, just, you know, goes with the flow, right? We're always kind of, we always say we're always a little messed up in the head. We're always trying to figure out answers. And that's part of being a good pitching coach is being able to control that with your guys. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're always searching for answers. It's a very complex position and there's a lot of science behind it. And, and with all the new data and technology that's come out, it's just asked, you know, just, propose more and more questions and, and that was something that was always intriguing to me as a player and for me personally I was undersized and I'm 511 and so you know as a draft prospect I knew I had if I wanted to play professionally I needed to do stuff differently and, and that includes throwing harder than, than most and, and so I was always curious about you know from a movement side of things and, and data side of things like how can I get my body to perform at a level higher than kids who weighed you know 50 pounds heavier than and, um, and so that always kind of stemmed, uh, you know, but just the, the nature of the sport or sorry, the nature of the position and, and, you know, the time in between outings and then kind of what I had to endure as a player uh, really sparked my interest in, in, in pitching analytics and data technology as well. And it really builds a picture. I mean, obviously I knew that you, you had played in college and so on and, and what you did after, but it does build a, an even bigger picture to how those things have really come together for you. And so after Northwestern, <laughs> you worked in the front office of two baseball teams. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, especially ones that, that look to, you know, want to work in sports, 
those are like exalted jobs, right? They, they hold those up as things that you really want to do. And, and so you know, what was that experience like being in the front office for, for a couple of different teams? It was a really good, ex- I call it, I always like to describe it as it was a, it was the perfect first job right out of school for me. Um, and there, the, the, the benefits of it is you get to see how things work from, from the highest level. And there's a lot of kind of hearsay, you know, within the media of how, th- how people think things go, but there's a lot of things that, um, that, that, that are kind of shoved under the rug, I should say that, that don't, um, that a lot of people don't know. And just, just the complex, a lot of people like part of what makes sports great is you have so many, you know, you know, armchair GMs and, and people who think they can, you know, do the job. And, um, and you just realize when you get in there, how complex, you know, decisions are, there are so many factors that go into a baseball operations decisions, whether it's scouting data, um, CBA related issues, roster constraints, minor leagues, budget. I mean, there's, it's a t- they're tough decisions. And I think, you know, the good thing about my experience working in the front office is um, I got to I got a taste of a little bit of everything. So I wasn't really pigeonholed right away. Um, so like the, the role of the advanced scout, just so the, the listeners know, is, is my job was to essentially be a data communicator to the major league coaching staff. And, and so whenever we like, let's say the Rays were playing the Yankees uh, like they just did this this past weekend. Um, my job would be to aggregate about 60 to 80 pages of data every series, every three days, and mm-hmm. communicate that to, to Kevin Cash and his staff um, and say, all right, this is what we're going to expect. This is what you know, the starting pitcher, this is what his movement profiles look like. These are kind of the matchups that I think we'd have the best probability of, of scoring runs with um, and, and so on, and defensive shifts and so on and so on. And so that was essentially my job. And within that job, you do get a taste of a little bit of everything because you are watching the most baseball. So when it comes trade deadline time, you're in the trade deadline room saying, all right, I saw this guy when we were scouting him, you know, back on April 15th or whatever. And, and uh, I think he's worth, you know, a trade. And so you get a, you get a taste of a little bit of everything, minor league free agency, you know, international the draft. And uh, it's really unique. And what's also really unique about kind of my, uh, you know, my, my situation is I got to work for a small market and a big market. And, and you get to see the different, that was probably the, where I got the most takeaways is when I left from Tampa to Toronto um, and, and saw how things are run differently. You know, when you're owned by a team, owned by a corporation of, of Rogers Communications, which is the largest company in Canada and versus you know, Tampa Bay Rays, who barely have a $60 million payroll you know, at the time. So it, it, it was really unique. And, and it, it, it was a really good first experience into the sports world shows how, how tough it is, how competitive it was out in the market. You know, I always like to say with, with Tampa is it, it we hired all these Ivy leaguers who were working 16, 17, 18 hours a day. You're, ne- you're probably not going to be in a situation where you see that talent to that level of talent working that hard. And, and so it was a really good eye-opening experience in that way. But overall, it's just, there's a lot of different things I learned from there. And it was a great kind of start to, to my career. 60 pages of data for, for each of those. I mean, it's an incredible amount of data inside of that. And it, it speaks to sort of what you were talking about earlier about how you're always trying to find those advantages and so on. It seems baseball better than most, right? Better than most sports. And historically speaking too, has always done that. Even in the time that, you know, back to a player and today or when you were working in those front offices, how much have you seen it evolve, right? How much has it evolved around the knowledge we have, the data we have, but not only that, what you can do with that data. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 I always like, like I, like I mentioned earlier, like all 30 teams have 
analytics departments, right? Right now it's 2021. And, but there are still teams that consistently finish last in Major League Baseball. And so it's what you do with that information that that's so important. And, and that's where like a team like the Rays and now the Toronto Blue Jays who have, who have definitely uh, turned the corner with their development path with some of their youngsters um, have really separated themselves from the pack. And, and that was cool being able to kind of see their processes as they're going through that situation and how they do it. But yeah, I mean, like you said, 60 pages is a lot of data. Um, that's just for one aspect of baseball operations. And just to, I always, I always like to say that, um, you know, a team like a team like the Rays, for example, who's very progressive and, and, and Toronto, um, they're about four years ahead of the public research that you see out there today. So, uh, I mean, right now, you know, everything's like real into kind of like the ball flight data, calculating spin rate, you know, movement, all that stuff. I mean, the Rays and Jays were on that, you know, in 2016. And so you're just starting to see articles come out like, well, I think this is what they're doing now. But I was, but I was kind of chuckling and like, man, they're, they're so far ahead of that right now. And, and it's not even close. So it's, it's really evolved. And now, you know, the, the, the big um, kind of, you know, the, the in, in demand data is body data, like explaining the, the why behind the what, as I like to say. So it's, uh, it's progressed quite a bit, but as you mentioned, it's all about how you leverage it. And that's, that's where you learn a lot about processes, um, especially you know my first year working in the front office. You know when you have limited resources, your processes better be good if you want to win. So um, how to leverage that and then explain in a very concise manner how you can use this information to better your organization. You brought up an interesting point around being be able to work for a small market team and a large market team. You know us as sports fans, we see that and you see it. it, There's things that you see in the differences of those teams just on the field or, you know, from following those teams, what was, you know, kind of your biggest takeaway in the differences of, of being in a small market versus a large market? Well, so one of my, uh, there's a quote that always kind of stuck with me. Um, when I was when I was working for the race, when I first got hired there, they said, you can break a window, but you can't burn the house down. And so they, um, they basically what they meant by that is take a lot of risks, but don't, you know, you, but don't, you know, but don't go too far. And so what they mean by that is we can't give out, you know, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis like contract, you know, in Tampa, but we can, you know, clear a roster spot on the big league roster for someone who graded really high on the metrics, but maybe really low on the scout. And that's what that, that uh, on the scouting scale. And so that's worth the risk. In Toronto, it's a, it was a little bit different because um, at that time we were we were coming off a high. Toronto, I mean, Toronto was a crazy Blue Jays uh, town, you know, in 2017. I mean, we had Donaldson, Batista, just had an Encarnacion, Stroman. I mean, they, they were the the superstars of uh, of the city, and we were set. We were getting 55,000 fans on a Tuesday night, and it was it was awesome to experience that. And so. When that happens, you know, you have kind of director directions from ownership to extend that as long as you can, even though, you know, sometimes, you know, management wise, uh, you know, there, there's, there's should be more rebuilding kind of moves, you know, in, in the pipeline. And so um, the raise, like the biggest difference at that time, and that I know this has, has changed, you know, over the last couple of years, but the raise were very, very aggressive with data, very, very aggressive with tech, very aggressive in terms of making like, you see today they have, you know, four outfielders. They're, they're not afraid to look stupid at that. 
Um, you know, whereas in, in at that time in Toronto, we, you know, we had a kind of reputation to uphold with that, and and you had to do whatever you could to get butts in those seats. And then when it became evidently obvious, that's when you started seeing Donaldson go to Cleveland, Osuna go to Houston, and, and, and all of Strowman go to the Mets. And so that's when they started tearing that down. But the biggest obvious difference at that time was uh, Tampa was far more aggressive on the tech side and uh, and data and, and was, was able to take risks that a lot of teams just weren't kind of, you know, even thinking, thinking, thinking about doing at the time. It's an interesting analogy because like in my business in, in technology, you, there's people I say, but you never get, you never get fired for buying IBM or going with IBM, yeah. right? It's sort of the large company mentality of, well, maybe I'll do these things not to get fired versus sort of the, the scrappy upstart piece that may do something different. But I guess it begs the question, Nate, why? That's not, especially the Toronto experience, right? You were saying really exciting, full house on Tuesday nights, great players. And you left that experience. So what was the sort of driver behind leaving that experience? The driver was mostly um, kind of a personal decision of, I've always had kind of like an entrepreneurial itch. It had really nothing to do with Toronto. I really enjoyed my time in Toronto. The people are great. I still work with those guys in, in various capacities. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and it, was a, it was a really cool experience, like being able to go to a baseball game where there's 55,000 people, like you said, on a Tuesday night and, and feel that energy. Um, but you know, for me personally, like what's happened in the front offices in the general front office structure, and this is not, I don't want to think about Toronto in this case, but like there, there's, this is true with all 30 teams, but, um, you know, there's the, the, the employees are getting very specific roles within the front office. And, and it's very difficult at times to sometimes I, I'm a very curious person and I want to just like explore as many things as possible. And so. You know, I always like to say, if I were to apply again, you know, to a major league baseball front office, I would probably be put to the front of the line in terms of advanced scouting. But because of that's just what my experience was. However, I didn't want to do that anymore because you're kind of married to that three-day schedule, right? You know, where you only have, um, you have to get that 60 pages in every three days. And so I was really, really curious about starting my own business and you know, I was really fascinated with all the research camp in Toronto we're doing from a pitching side of things in terms of ball flight data. And then when I found out that this technology that I know we paid a lot of money for, um, you know, was becoming portable and cheaper and more accessible to the public, I said, there's going to be a demand for people to understand this information because knowing what I know right now, there's that, that this information is so valuable and will be you know, incredibly valuable at scale. And so that's essentially what I've been trying to work on ever since I left Toronto. And, um, and that's essentially how Diamond Solutions was born. So it, it, it comes from, and it's an interesting point that you bring up that the specialization piece and you could see why that would happen, right? As you mentioned before, you have enormously talented people that want these jobs, right? And so if the, there's the demand for those jobs, you can get really talented people to focus on very specific things that brings the most value to those teams. Exactly. I mean, specialization is key in the front office. When they when you interview in, in today's world, they're always asking you, you know, what specifically do you want to do in baseball operations? And so that to me was a, a sign that uh, you know, it's going to be more, even more and more competitive, especially at the ground level where I was at at the time. And, uh, and, but at the same time, I had two great years and, 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 and learned a ton from both those organizations. And I had experience that I thought I could leverage into something bigger. So I decided, 
I was like, what better time to do it than now? I was young. Um, and uh, I, well, I still am young, but yeah, you I, still are. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really young at the time. And I just said, I don't really have much responsibility outside of figuring out how to pay your basic expenses, life expenses. And, and let's see. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back, you know, because I had those two years. So that's where I decided I wanted to take that risk and, and the timing was right. And, and I wanted to leverage what, you know, at the Credit Toronto and Tampa for, 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 teaching me so well, you know, you know, how to, how to use this information and leverage this in the, in, in the, in the public world. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that it was kind of the best first job and, and that seems to be true, right? Because you built that baseline knowledge. And like you said, kind of saw the gap of, you know, with these things becoming more portable, there was going to be the demand for it, you know, with diamond solutions, the thing that you do and you can explain to the listeners sort of what you do around that. But the, when you talk about the, the, the ability to capture this data becoming more portable, what did that mean? So, the, the the main data source at that time in 2016 and 2017 was was called it was a track was a technology called TrackMan. It's very popular in golf. It's for any golf listeners out there. But it was it was the main it was the main technology in in uh, you know in in baseball to to capture ball flight data. So how fast how how much the ball's spinning, how fast the ball's traveling, you know the approach angles, the the, the vertical and horizontal movement, how hard the ball's you know coming off the bat. All that stuff was was tracked by a TrackMan device. And during that time, at the end of my tenure in Toronto at the end of 2017, early 2018, there was a company called Rapsodo that came out with a new portable unit that essentially tried to do the same thing that TrackMan did. A TrackMan cost between, you know, 20 and 25 grand, you know, uh, a, a unit. So it's, it's, it's not a cheap purchase. And, uh, but Rapsodo came out with kind of a similar product that got you 75% of the way there. It didn't have all the data TrackMan had, but it had a lot of the main ones. For about, uh, at the time it was, uh, it was, it was $3,000. So I was like, "Whoa, this is uh, this is a deal." So I actually bought that radar while I was still with Toronto, and you know, I was—I think I was one of their first or second customers. I said, "No, this is just worth a bet and seeing what happens." I know it was like money I knew I could make back privately, and and I just said, "All right, let's just see how this goes," and this will be my first entrepreneurial taste. And so when I saw it become portable, I said, "Well, I can use this in various different methods, whether it be individual consulting, put it at events." Um, and, you know, take it around the world and, and try and find players from major league baseball teams. And, uh, and that's kind of how the, the business plan got born in a sense. And, and when I, it all happened because of the, the accessibility and the portability of that information. Yeah, it's really cool to be able to see that, that you as a person can go out and it's not, I mean, it's still expensive, right? Yeah. But it's not cost prohibitive for a college team, a high school team, large high school team, even, you know, individual clubs or, or so on to do that. But you talk about the hardware, your secret sauce or what you do is still in the data that the, that hardware spits out. Correct. Correct. Like I always say my business model is leveraging data and that can come in, in many different forms, whether it just be explaining education, explaining what it is, using it in a player development sense where I can, you know, find low hanging fruit in, in a, pitcher's current repertoire and, and switch some things around and, and, and make, make them more of a prospect. Um, it can be in terms of finding players. Uh, so there, there, there's many different avenues you can use it. And I usually get hired to um, help help people better understand how to use this information within their organizational framework. Uh, that's another interesting point. So you're sort of a, 
in the model that you have now, it train the trainer of here's yeah. what this data really means. Or does it work on the, the opposite approach of, I'm sure that you as someone with a wealth of knowledge around this data and how it's collected and sort of the tangible results for it have a lot of insight into the sort of outcomes that you can, or results that you can get from that data. So does it work in both ways? Do you give that yourself personally, or is it more of the teaching the people how to use that data? A little bit of both. Yeah. So I would say, I would say that the, the first round, uh, what, we're, what I'm going through right now is, is just you teaching people how to use the data. And especially I brought it into to softball, which is a, uh, which is very, which is a very data untapped um, industry and, and still growing. But my main job was to teach people like, why is this important? Like you'll start with that question and, and you know, why, how can you use this in your day-to-day process? So you have to be, it's always a challenge. Like data can always seem very intimidating at first because there's a lot of numbers that get thrown at you. And it, and most importantly, it questions sometimes what someone has been doing for their whole life. And that can be a very difficult conversation. And so it's my, I always take a lot of pride and, and, and do a lot of planning about like what I'm going to say, you know, for that first 30 minutes that I need someone who's going into that, um, you know, starting their data journey, I should say. And so you have to train it. You, like you said, it's training the trainer, but you have to have a very customizable way of doing that because everyone's different with that. And, and uh, you know, and so you have to be respectful, always be, always have to be respectful of what that, that coach or you know manager uh, you know, has done in the past to to, to get because you want them to get to, to use the information right so you, know, you have to be respectful of what they've done in the past to, to, to be effective with the information as a whole. It's something that's, that has been like the constant. It's like you're from one religion or the other, right? It is you you know even think of movies like Moneyball, right? You know they asked them the scouts there's a great scene in the room you know where it's supposed to be paul de podesta and, and billy bean and he's the scout says you're not buying into this billy bean crap are you you know and and so it's like they've been pitted against each other but it the interesting part is that actually you can see it from yourself someone who knows baseball really well played it their whole life but then also understands the data it becomes another tool in your tool belt to be able to evaluate or would you look at it like that as another tool in your tool belt to evaluate play and so on yeah so when you bring up that example there's two reasons why that that why a scout would get mad at, at that kind of approach and one of them is just a lack of communication from the top down so that's an organ that's that goes back to that issue of, of processes you know of, of what we were um, talking about earlier you know the the the, the, the scouts the, the boots on the ground as I like to say need to be kept in the loop of how the front office is evaluating players. And so when they do not get kept in the loop and they see a vastly different evaluation from theirs, that's a threat, you know, especially when they're not telling you. And so, um, so, so that, that's kind of like an organizational failure if, if, if you see that. And then the second reason is the, the analysts don't, don't speak, you know, in a probabilistic manner. They're saying, you know, it's this way or the highway. Like you see a lot of argument on Twitter in the baseball world of, you know, launch angles and, and, and spin rate, too many people striking out. And, and, you know, yes, that's true, but there, there are, you know, different ways where you can explain it to where it, it, it makes sense from, from a management standpoint. And so if you just say, we're just going after guys that hit the ball hard in the air and off to the full side, you know, from a scout point of view, they, they think a little bit differently. They think, they actually think uh, very probabilistic, but if you say from a number standpoint, we're, this is what we're going for. And, and, you know, that's it. And, 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 and tough, you know, tough, you know, 
too bad, uh, you know, in a sense, um, you know, that that's going to rub people the wrong way. So it, it's all really on how you communicate that, that information and, and how you display it to, to, to everyone in the organization. So they can feel comfortable using it as a, as another to, you know, tool in their tool chest. And because if they, if all, if all the major league baseball scouts use data, like they would all get better, but they need to use it in their own way and not from what the front office tells them is working at the big league level. So that's, that's all comes down to communication. That's all comes down to how to explain this probabilistically. You, you almost never see an analyst explain why this method could go wrong <laughs> instead of this, like, you know, this is what we're seeing. This is what the numbers are saying. So I think if you come, you know, from a little bit more of a place of humility with, with, with the models, you know, and just could be, be open and transparent with your communication with the data, uh, you, know, you win a lot of, you win a lot of people over. That's such a smart approach too. Like you said, to come into that conversation with the humility around it, because you're going to find some, you know, 30 year veteran that, that has done things a certain way for you know, a very long time. You come in and question their model. It, it makes it harder versus trying to say, Hey, I have some stuff that could make you better. Right. Or, or give you better data, better data to do your job better. Exactly. Yeah. You, I mean, it's, it's really, you're trying to make everyone in the data is trying to make everyone in the organization better. And you have to take that approach. Like, how is this going to work for you? And so when you see those people butting, butting heads like that, um, it's usually because of a, of a process or an organizational failure. It's not because of uh, someone's inability to calculate a metric. Uh, because they're all, like we talked about, they're all very talented in Major League Baseball. I mean, the Rays, the Rays are known for their analytics, but the Toronto Blue Jays analytics staff, I can guarantee you, is just as smart as the Rays. But but the Rays have kind of a, had a little bit, at the time, had a little bit of a head start, you know, in how to use this within the whole organization. So that's why they're so good, but so little. Right. Now you mentioned, you know, we talked a lot about baseball and, and, and your history in baseball, which you apply all of this now to softball as well. And so how how did that get going and how is it different than than the baseball approach? I kind of fell into softball, to be honest. And and uh, I, so I just left, it was 2017, early 2018, I just left Toronto and, and getting settled back in San Diego and was figuring out ways to build my business. And, and a lot of, at the time it was minor leagues uh, or it was the awesome season. We're getting guys ready for spring training and, uh, and helping guys out. And a lot of my friends who were still playing at the time was uh, was working was working out with a trainer. It's called Symbiotic Training Center, and there's a softball side to Symbiotic run by by uh, Dana Sorensen, who's a well-known um, softball pitcher, Stanford All-American. And she was asking me about like what I was doing with all the numbers, and and, and suggested, well, you should do this in softball. You know, like no one's doing this, and then this would be very very helpful because a lot. She was taking it from the approach like a lot of people think they know what they're seeing, but but it would be very helpful if we had data to to kind of back that up. And so she t- ended up taking me to the Florida State Winter Camp, uh, for which is like their big recruiting camp. And um, we did an analysis of all their players, and, um, and 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 it went really well. Everyone was like really. <laughs> when I, anytime I go into the public world with data, I always kind of have my guard up a little because I know people are always a little bit skeptical uh, of what I do. But in softball, it was just completely different. And it was just like everyone was so warm and welcoming and, and curious and no one was like fighting me on anything. And, and it was like, wow, this is really nice. And, and, and I'm not used to this. And, and just everyone treated me so well. You know, Lonnie Alameda, the head coach of Florida State, is just, you know, uh, I have to owe her a lot of credit for, for helping start, you know, Diamond Solutions because without her taking a bet on me at her camp, I probably wouldn't be talking about this. And so, um, yeah, at that camp, 
I, I did analysis of all that players, got got a lot of good data, and I saw there was a big demand for it here. And, and Florida State ended up winning the the College World Series that year in softball, so that that always helps. And mm-hmm. uh, and then um, and, and then some of the recruits that that I picked that um, that some people were undervaluing ended up becoming the top rated recruits in, in what's now the 2022 class. And so it was really curious to see how that data and the, the, the principles and the philosophies that, that I learned in the front office, how some of them carried over to softball. And, and it's a whole, presents a whole new challenge. And, and I, ever since then, I, got, I fell in love with the sport, got addicted to people are fantastic in, in softball. Uh, and I've been really, really committed to growing, you know, help grow the data side of that sport because uh, they're hungry for it, and and, and you want to, you know, they're they're a group worth investing in, a hundred percent. So that's how I kind of got into it. Softball. Do you see that continuing to grow? I mean, does softball from that point? It seems that it has really picked up. But do you see it continuing to grow? Not only, you know, from a, a college level, but even down to high school and and so on. Yeah. So I mean, the last couple of years, uh, we've, we've grown exponentially in the college market in terms of. I mean, non-COVID year, I'm going to 20, in between 20 and 30 campuses in the fall, uh, just, you, know, with, you know, week after week, um, helping, helping schools understand their, their, their data and their pitching uh, from a softball perspective. And then now what we're working on now is essentially the scalability of that in the high school market. So, um, you know, we, we've worked with over a thousand athletes on the high school level and, and trying to, you know, you know, 10x that, right. <laughs> and get that, get that bigger. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so, so yeah, it's, it's grown really quickly and, and people are seeing the benefits and most importantly, people are enjoying it and, and, and getting better. That's the, that's the whole purpose of, of my service and, and people are finding a way to leverage it in their own manner in, in throughout software. So it's a really exciting market for me. And, and, uh, and it's something that I've, I've been really passionate about the last uh, few years, ever since I got introduced to it at that Florida state camp. You mentioned that's kind of what you're doing now, it, you know, overall, what's, what is Diamond Solutions working on now? I mean, you focus on the softball piece, but you obviously have the baseball parts and not only that, it, what's, what's next? I mean, what do you, as you mentioned, you have quite the entrepreneurial spirit, right? And, and to see these things that you keep evolving is really cool. What, what is, you know, like you said, softball is kind of the focus now, what are the other focus areas that you have now and what, what is there in store for you going forward? Well, the goal is to, to, to scale as, as best as I can to, to automate a lot of my processes. And so um, that, that's always a challenge in itself. Um, automation is, is a very tricky, uh, you know, scaling, scaling business problem that, that every entrepreneur has to go through if they want to take that leap from, you know, nice little business to, to big business. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that's essentially what we're doing now. We, we co-found, I co-founded the, another company called Auto. It's called Own the Outcome, which is essentially like a software arm. You know, of Diamond Solutions, and, and that's building upon kind of what I've already, um, you know, created with, with my principles and, and my networks and, and, and whatnot to, to really kind of integrate all these new technologies into a, into a manner that is digestible and, and leverageable, you know, to, you know, a 14-year-old softball player, right? And, and so a lot of that's going to include, you know, mobile biomechanics, uh, you know, physio- physiology data, you know, and how that, you know, you know, relates to kind of outcome information and basically trying to create products that pair all these data sources and give answers. I'm a big fan of, um, I don't like, I don't want to be a company that essentially just shows data and, and visualizes data. I like making decisions. That's why I get into sports and I like to kind of build processes off of that that are going to help people make better decisions for themselves and push them in the right direction. So everything is solution based, as I like to say. 
and meaning, you know, if there's going to be, you know, input A and input B, I'm going to give you C and say, this is what I would do. And, you know, I, I always learned that, you know, back in Tampa, like we'd have analysts, for example, who would give this some crazy recommendations. And we'd always say, well, why do you say that? But I realized, you know, a couple of years later, like, well, it's his job to say that because now I'm thinking about it. I was like, what am I missing? Right. And so that is the benefit of giving an answer, which I think a lot of people are afraid to do with good data. Um, because, you know, with, obviously you're, you're on the record and two, like you have supporting evidence of whether you're right or wrong. But that's part of working in data and sports is you, know, you, you have to re- have the humility, like I said earlier, that you're going to be wrong sometimes. But that's okay because that in itself is data to get better and improve the model. And, you know, you know, we always talk about in Tampa, fail fast. You know, if you're going to fail, fail fast and, and, and move forward. And so that's, that's, that's more information. So with Diamond Solutions and Auto, um, you know, we'll, we'll really focus on expanding in, in the softball world. Latin America is a big, big market for me. That I, I'm, in, I'm in the Latin countries all the time, you know, uh, helping, you know, underprivileged kids find, find contracts with Major League Baseball and, and Major League Baseball pays for the information. So, uh, so it's, a, it's a really cool experience. And, and really just the overall goal is to scale and automate solutions and, and bring in more data and tech sources that, that help better paint a picture of what an athlete can and cannot do. Yeah, you make such a good point of data for data's sake can be beautiful and the visualizations can be you know, really cool behind it. But if there's not you know, sort of tangible outcomes that you can get for, what what use is it, right? And I think you make a really good point around, yeah, you can leave the data out there and people can interpret it how they want and kind of make any assumption that they have. But the value that you're really bringing is there's tangible outcomes for this. Here's the inputs and here's the output that I can show you. It's dangerous if you if you give someone a whole new data piece of like information, so another source of information, and and they don't know and they don't know what how kind of like basic processes around it because then they're just going to look for that information to prove themselves right, and um, that that's a, that's always a challenge when, when dealing with coaches who are new to, to new to data, but I think it's really important to put kind of an output and and a solution to that to to that data source. Because if not, if you're just, you know, if your goal is just to present it in front of you in, in a nice, organized, automated fashion, which is great, that's half the battle. There, there's definitely value to that. I, you know, there's, I'm not trying to down that. But if you do not put kind of an outcome to, to that data source, it's very, very difficult to, to, to really get the most out of that, that, that information. Yeah, and like you said, very easy for someone to say, well, wait, this just justifies what the confirmation bias portion of it, right? If you exactly you yeah, can you, just find the <laughs> There's a lot of pride in sports. And so you have to you have to you have to um, you know, be careful with that. And so it's uh, so so you're always and that's something like part of my process, for example, like I brought I was started in the scouting world. Like that's how I got into um, the front offices because I would go all, all in my summers and, and uh you know, scout the, the high A league teams, uh, you know, up in the Inland Empire here in California and, um, and, and write reports. And that's kind of what got me noticed. But as I realized when I got exposed to all this information at first, like especially evaluating pitching, I always, I switched up my process to look at the data first rather than the pitching rather than their like, video, because I was always saying, this is, I had a picture in my head of what I wanted the picture to look like. But I knew from a data perspective that, there were, you know, there were other, you know, hard, you know, hard evidence of, you know, these characteristics work, but it may not look the way I want it to. And so I didn't want that in my head when I first, you know, looked at a pitcher. I wanted to know what his metrics were and being able to justify, like, 
why this can or cannot work from a subjective side. And so when the, the more, like I always said, ignorance is your biggest strength, you know, when working in sports, because, uh, because you have, you know, a picture of, of how to do things, but that can be your biggest weakness. And, and I always say the, 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 the people who I've learned the most from in, in, in Major League Baseball, uh, from like time in the front office specifically, are people who look like, like when they play in the company softball game, like they're, it's like Andy on ice skates that they're, they can't, they can't do anything with it, with baseball, but they're, they have a very intriguing approach onto how to solve a problem. And, uh, and so I think, you know, when you, that's part of like, you know, why data can be so useful is, is it, it challenges those biases, like you said, but, but also kind of, you know, you can figure out a way how to work it within your system to make, you know, your, yourself the best version, the most valuable employee essentially to your organization to, 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 to make the best decisions possible for the group. Yeah, and sports has those myths, right? The conventional wisdoms that you get stuck in, right? And you think this this is this way because of something. And if you have people that think differently or don't have those stuck in it, you know, can be really valuable. I mean, you, you mentioned what got you noticed, you know, scouting those, those high A teams in California. A lot of our listeners, you know, are people that are in the sports industry today, trying to continue to evolve or looking to get into the sports industry. And, you know, for me, it was exciting to have you and talk to you, Nate, because, you've gone a path that's very different than, than a lot of people. We often think of, you know, it's really cool. You know, those traditional front office jobs or jobs in college athletics, but then you took that, you know, knowledge and parlayed it into something that is your own. So if the, you know, for those listeners, are there any pieces that, that you can really, you know, impart on them that, that help you get to sort of this point? Well, I would say if, if like, if you want to go the more traditional route, just know that the competition is stiff. And you're going to have to get as many skills as you get. And so that was always like, but when I was being hired uh, by, by the teams and, and I, I was fortunate enough to go straight from college to a big league job, which is sometimes um, not as, uh, you know, you don't see that too often because a lot of times you have to go through the minor leagues and, and do like a video intern or stuff. But I was fortunate enough to go straight to, to the, to the big league side, which is, which provides a lot more opportunities. Um, I, I like, for example, I had over a hundred pages of research and scouting reports that I was presenting to, to, uh, front office. And so part of what I wanted to show is I'm out there scouting. I'm out there trying to write code. I'm out there running my own research projects and I think differently. I'm looking at other data sources. Um, and, and so you have to be very, um, don't think just one skill is good enough. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a very challenging, um, you know, industry. These these people work very very hard. They come from very good schools. They're they're very sharp. And, I mean, I've worked with guys who've been working who, who make mid six figure jobs, uh, uh, you know, on Wall Street that are giving up to work literally for for no money to to just try and work in this in, industry. So that's what you're kind of up against <laughs> with that. And so be be ruthless with your skill set. Be aggressive. Um, try and get in front of the, as many people as possible. I mean, I was sending like. 90 to 100 emails a week to people just annoying people. I think that's part of the reason why I got hired. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the entrepreneur, you have to be entrepreneurial if you want kind of your own, you know, your own job in, in a sense within the front offices. And then, um, you know, if, if it's not for you, like, like kind of I determined, you know, after a couple of years of my experience, think about ways you can add value to the sport in, in different capacities. That's what I always think. Well, you know, I don't need the title of front office to, to add value to, to softball or baseball. You know, I don't, you know, I don't need that. And so that's where I said, you can have just as much influence outside of the game 
outside of the, the office than you do inside of the office if if you leverage the skills correctly um, you know in, in an entrepreneurial spirit so um, so I would just say you know my piece of advice is be aggressive learn as many skills as you can because because uh, flexibility is, is key um, you know working in those positions and and know that it's it's going to be tough like we were talking about earlier sports is you work when other people don't so um, you, you kind of have to mentally be prepared for that. It's also a big physical challenge as well, keeping you know, keeping your body in shape and, and being able to handle those 16, 18 hour days and 10 game, 10 game home stands. Those are not, those are not easy uh, on, you know, they're tough on the player, but they're, they're also very hard on the front office staff as well. So um, just, just know what you're getting into and, and go for it, you know, full tilt. It's incredible advice. And I mean, I think it's especially well taken from somebody who's had such an interesting path, right? I mean, it's really cool to see from, from having you in class, you know, all those years ago, I say all those years ago, you're still, you are still a young person. Trust yeah. me. I don't feel as young as I used to, but you're, you're still very young, but it's, it's so cool to see, like you said, when you determine that that was not for you. And I think it's a really cool thing to say, you can still add value in some way to, to the sport. And it's amazing to see how you have done that. Nate, I mean, thank you so much for the time today. Can you tell people sort of where they can find you on Twitter and, and, and the web, your website and so on? We'll, we'll have all this stuff on the show notes, but just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. On social media, I'm probably most active on Twitter at dominate 34. Um, that, that's for That's probably the, the main social handle I use. Um, my website is diamondsolutionsllc.com. Um, my contact information is all down there. I'm always open to, to emails and, and response and, and, and I try to be as responsive as possible on that. So feel free to reach out. Um, keep an eye out for more stuff from Auto on the outcome. That's 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 in the works. You know, with some software stuff uh, coming coming shortly. We're we're also building out building that up as we speak. And and uh, and yeah, those are the best ways to to, to get in touch with me. But it's it great chatting with you, Bryce, as, as always. Yeah, it's really good to catch up. And, and I mean, again, it's, it's you and I get the opportunity to catch up every once in a while. So it's great to do that. But also, it's really cool to see all the things that you've done. And, and I, I look forward to and I know the listeners do as well to, to see what comes next from you. So thank you very much for all your time today, Nate. Oh, thank you, Bryce. Always good to be back with the uh, well-known Wild Nats. <laughs> Take care, Nate. All right, you too.